Welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and with video here on YouTube. So uh, welcome to another episode of The Three Apostates. I am joined by Jonathan Streeter, a former Mormon, and Lloyd Evans, my favorite former Jehovah's Witness. Favorite? Uh, yes. How many <laughs> former Jehovah's Witnesses do you know, Chris? <laughs> Wait, does that mean there's a different favorite former Mormon? I'm not, no, no, no. It's a, no, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, I have, I have uh, actually a few now, Lloyd. Uh, and I'm the top of the bunch, am I? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely well, at the top of the I heap. expect nothing left. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yes. Okay, so we are going to talk about 2019. We're going to talk about uh, where things are going with our respective groups. And then we're going to go over a little fun uh, survey slash um, evaluation that uh, grades the relative destructivity of our former groups. And uh, we kind of went through a little 10 or 12 point checklist and uh, assigned some arbitrary numbers to it. And we'll go over some of that and talk about why we chose what we chose on that. So first off, how's it going, guys? <laughs> well, I I'm think complaining. in Mormonism... <laughs> You know, the update on Mormonism is that uh, your viewers may not know, but uh, about a year ago or so, we got a new prophet. We injected some new young blood into the leadership of Mormonism in the form of a 94-year-old former heart surgeon, Russell M. Nelson. So he's our new young blood. And you would think at 94, it's probably going to be stagnant, but he has done some just unprecedented changes in Mormonism, the Mormonism of today, as Actually, we record you're this. Allowed to call it Mormonism. This is true. To... That's a whole part. The... You're absolutely Get right. The program. This is your I'm... religion. <laughs> and I'm having to inform you about your religion. No, that was one of the changes I was getting there. All right. So, <laughs> one of the marks of me being apostate is that I can still use the word Mormonism and I don't have to get into an argument about it. <laughs> so one of the things he did in the last year is he said, don't call us Mormons. And this is in direct contradiction to past prophets who are like paying millions of dollars to fancy PR firms to create a whole I'm a Mormon campaign, which copied a Scientology campaign. And um, but that, you know, that's just one thing. Now, that's like superficial fluff. What we just saw last week, January 1st, was a dramatic change to the sacred slash secret temple ceremony itself. Now, feminists in Mormonism have been complaining for decades that the ceremony is inherently sexist and puts women at a lesser position, subservient to their husbands, and not even directly in communication with God, because God is only accessible through their husbands the way it was previously set up the man would covenant with God and the woman would covenant with her husband. Um, but that has totally changed. A lot of those sexist elements have been removed. The, the prior process where women were compelled to veil their faces was totally eliminated. There's no more veiling of women's faces in the temple. You know, these are changes that if you're just part of an organization and you have a special, you know, ritual that you have, then you can change it and it's no big deal. But when you're, 
temple ritual was originally said to be restored to some ancient order as God originally intended it, which is what Joseph Smith and the early prophets did, then to have subsequent prophets change it further just kind of blows your mind. But they found a way to, in a very Orwellian way to, uh, to just smooth all that over. So we're just going to see what the future holds because he's still making a lot of changes. I mean, another big one was that we went from having a three-hour block of meetings on Sunday to only two hours, which is taking up less of a uh, each individual's time. They, he, he changed it so you have less of a time commitment? That's right. We have, a, have a, we had a similar thing with Jehovah's Witnesses, actually. We, had the, we used to have 45-minute public talks on a Sunday. They're now 30 minutes. And we used to have uh, an extra meeting in the week, and that got removed as well. I think um, a lot of it is down to, uh, with, with, the, with the reduction in the public talk, I think it was down to, for, for practical reasons and giving people more time to get to and from the meeting so that less people had an excuse of, oh, well, I just can't justify the, the traveling time and that kind of thing. But also with the um, with the meeting that they abolished, that was a meeting that used to take place in people's homes. And the feeling is that when you have witnesses meeting independently in small homes, it's harder to keep a tab on what they're talking about and whether they're starting to think outside the box. So there's all sorts of reasons why they could want to do that. Interesting. I, I just, I'm, I, I find it interesting only because I think that these are, I don't know, do you guys think these are, res clearly the, 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 the Mormon actions are a direct response to public outcry. Uh, mm, uh, uh, outsiders will see it clearly as that, but the prophet says, no, 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 this is a revelation from God. It has nothing to do with PR, nothing to do with the complaints we, you know, in the past, we've excommunicated women feminists who complained about these things vocally. Um, we're not even going to acknowledge that. There's a video that shows apparently at the beginning of the temple sessions now that says this has changed, but because of the sacred nature of the temple, you are not to discuss that these changes were made, not to discuss the changes or even that there were changes uh, in public. That's only for people that are in the temple at the temple. Got it. Although clearly people are talking about it because you know. About oh, yeah. It. Oh yeah, yeah, it's yeah. on the news. I mean, yeah, it's a big. Actually, released a, a PR statement on its news thing, and at the end of it, there was this. When I said it was Orwellian, it says, you know, it talks about that there have been some minor changes to bring things up to the times, and then it says the prophets have said that there will be unending changes, and we're like, what? 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 Because we have a lot of prophets saying that the ordinances of God are unchanging and should never be amended, but we don't have a whole lot of prophets saying, oh yeah, there's going to be endless changes. Wow. This is so interesting, but also it totally goes along with everything we've ever talked about with this, because I've always said from the get-go that the Mormon church is the most progressive and is the least in the destructive cult flavor of things as far as it's able to respond. I mean, whether they're saying their reasons for doing it are, are because of public feedback or outcry or whatever, the fact that they are changing is a positive move. I mean, we, we know it's hypocritical. Yeah. But at the same time, we want that change, right? Yeah. We, we just, we want to see a change with an acknowledgement of the error, a validation of the harm that existed before, yeah. and 
and a restoration of dignity to those people who were vilified before for making these complaints. And none of that happened. So we continue to have an authoritarian religious organization with no apparent internal accountability uh, for what they do. And, and they continue to do harmful things, but it's just still in the mode of defer to your leaders. The leaders never really make mistakes and God is at the helm of everything. But at least right. having the change is something. I mean, in, in an ideal world, we would have full accountability yeah. and holding your hands up and saying, we got that wrong. You know, yeah. it was hypocritical of us. I, I would frankly just, I'd be happy to just see reform um, yeah. from a Jehovah's Witness standpoint, but we're not even getting that. Yeah. So with Mormonism, uh, sorry, with the Church of Latter-day Saints, um, at least there is some interest in kind of being, um, in kind of restoring the reputation and fulfilling the kind of mainstream ideals, that there's no interest in Scientology and no interest in Jehovah's Witnesses in a, in having a good appearance as 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 far as making reforms is concerned it's a case of we're sticking to this you know even if it kills us yep that's, that's right. what makes mormonism a more effective virus a more effective mind virus is it adapts <laughs> good point I, and I get that. I totally get that. Is this akin to how things happened in the seventies when the, when the, um, I don't even know how to describe it. Just the priesthood the, restriction. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. With the, with the African American community. Yeah. And that yeah. is where you have a society around Mormonism came to a knowledge and an acceptance of the problems with sexism and misogyny that were prevalent in society. And they've moved in a direction to acknowledge and try to rectify those things. That happened decades ago in society. And just like with the race issue, Mormonism is following up a few decades late where they finally acknowledge these things and then do something about it. Right, right. Well, I have to say, I mean, I, I like Lloyd said, I mean, at least it's something better than nothing. Yeah. Whereas Scientology and the JWs are, are just, you know, doubling down on their same level yeah. of nonsense right now. Uh, as and it's totally predictable that that's what they're going to do. What do you see happening as uh, now that you know we've had Leah's show out for a while now, Lloyd, and 2019 is now rolling out. What do you see happening with uh, with uh, activism on your end? I see Watchtower circling the wagons, and uh, I'm just now editing, in fact, the best of 2018, uh, or sorry, the worst of 2018 in terms of the video propaganda and one recurring theme is this idea of the world is out to get us um, we need to pay no attention to any negative media we need to view ourselves as under attack we need to envision a day when people with guns will come for us this is the mindset that is being drilled into jehovah's witnesses in 2018 particularly with the increasing exposure through the likes of Leah's show, I don't see that that easing. I, I see that being intensified. I think they really will double down in 2019 and we'll see even more paranoia. Wow. We have, uh, in the world of Scientology right now, there was just a uh, fatal stabbing of a man um, down in Australia uh, by a, a kid who apparently was the, ch was the son of the, a Scientologist who was doing services at this advanced organization there. So that's kind of in the media right now, but it's, it's a random event. I don't know that it, it, it doesn't seem to be particularly, um, 
it just it seems like there was an unstable kid who was armed who did something really bad to a Scientologist. And that and I'm just gonna say right now, that really sucks because uh, that's not at all what any of us want to be seeing is, you know, people being killed for their ideas or beliefs. <clears throat> so that's kind of very, very fresh right now. But on a longer term, I'm seeing that the um, Scientology is doubling down on their beliefs and doubling down on, you know, all the nonsense they throw at us critics as far as, uh, you know, the 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 criticism and the lies and the, and the, and the secrets and stuff that they try to use to expose us. Um, but also I'm noticing that there is a, uh, long, <clears throat> there's a case that's been going on for quite a while, an investigation of Danny Masterson, a celebrity who is accused of assaulting four or five women, including, you know, former, uh, women who were Scientologists at, at, you know, celebrity parties he was part of and stuff. And, and Masterson is a Scientologist himself. And because of this, he was kicked off his TV show. But it's been months and months that the district attorney of Los Angeles has been sitting on the, the uh, recommendation that he be charged for, you know, potential crimes that, he, that, that he's been accused of. And she's not moving forward on this at all. And what we've been seeing in the last couple of weeks is very clear-cut evidence that the Church of Scientology has been spending a lot of money and a lot of time infiltrating the Los Angeles Police Department and specifically the Hollywood Division to the point where I feel very safe in saying that the LA City Police Department is completely compromised by the Church of Scientology um, through their public affairs office and their public relations division that Scientology has been working with the police to the point where they have Scientology video kiosks in the police departments showing Scientology videos. And what? They, oh, yeah. Which is well, entirely I, against separation of church and state, isn't it? That's right, completely. And, um, and now in the New Year's event, David Miscavige went on stage and talked about how they have uh, a big community program that the Church of Scientology is working with the LAPD on, and they are they could not be closer. And we saw the district attorney, Jackie Lacey, who was supposed to be prosecuting this case against Masterson, literally smiling in photo ops with Mike Rinder's daughter. Mike Rinder, of course, was on Leah's show, uh, is the co-producer of the show, and his daughter is a Sea Org member who is on a tear to take down take down Mike Render and Leah Remini. So seeing her in a photo op with the DA, both of them smiling at the camera, you know that and all the other stuff going on with the LAPD. It's very very clear that they're doing a whole handling very similar to what they did when Lisa McPherson died in the in the late 90s in Clearwater. They spent millions of dollars boozing and schmoozing all the Clearwater police and uh, and legislature and mayor's office. All those people got schmoozed heavily by Scientology to prevent any legal action being taken. And they succeeded in that, as disgusting as that is. And that's what we're seeing now with the LAPD. So um, so I'm a little angry, frustrated, upset about that whole situation because there's not going to be any justice for Masterson's victims if that's the case. And, um, and so it's kind of business as usual for Scientology in many ways, despite the public shellacking and, and spanking that they've taken over the last couple of years. And I am, um, I'm not exactly encouraged by that, but it just reinforces the desire to step up, keep talking, keep pushing this and keep raising public awareness about it because 
eventually the public have to hopefully, you know, uh, keep pushing on this and, and, uh, and we'll get some, some attention from the legislation. Surely Scientology is now at the point where it's a dead cult walking in terms of its ability to recruit new members being rendered entirely um, impotent. How, how can it possibly recruit new members with like the Leah Remini's work with Alex Gibney's documentary. I mean, how do you become, how do you say, oh, there's a great group for me to join um, in 2019? Right. I, I understand that they have an existing membership. Uh, I understand why they would want, want to be loyal and why they would be entirely sealed off from all criticism. And so it's self-perpetuating from that point of view, but in terms of bringing in new blood, surely Scientology can't do that anymore. No, they can't. They can't yeah. actually. And I and I should say this actually in terms of encouraging word, words I'm getting these days. I was just talking to a friend who um, has firsthand experience in one of their ideal organizations in the in the west western United States here, and it's just I mean it's beyond ghost town. It's 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 where they're they're at the point now where they're having to bring Sea Org members into these ideal organizations to staff them because there's so few staff as well as the public. I mean, it's really like the museum in every ideal org. Is it? Exactly, they're <laughs> ideal morgues, <laughs> and uh, and that's you know that's the kind of the state of Scientology beginning of 2019. You know, it's like business as usual on the legal end. But yeah, they really are crashing and burning on every other front. So well, I should Which be. Is I should be encouraging, isn't it? You know, the, yeah. the, 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 it's job done as far as that's concerned. It's just um, the, the yeah. what we're waiting for is, of course, for it all to just implode. But it's, realistically, that's not going to happen. While right. again, the Sea Org members aren't able to look at critical information. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well. Okay, so um, let's get into something. Let's get into this uh, this evaluation here. This was kind of interesting. A, a viewer of mine suggested this as an as an idea of a of some talking points we can bring up about our various groups, and I thought it was very smart. There is a um, an evaluation called the Advanced Bonewits Cult uh, Danger Evaluation Frame. <laughs> now, Bonewitz is a guy named is named after a guy named Isaac Bonewitz, and I am very aware of the, certain controversies connected with him. He was a, a sort of a wooey uh, Wiccan type Druid guy from the seventies and eighties, and I, I, this has nothing to do with him or any of that. This has to do with this uh, this evaluation he put together, which I thought, in and of itself, is quite interesting. And so, what we did was we there are. 12, 13, 18 points on which we have each graded our former groups. And so I thought we'd go through these uh, kind of rapid fire. We don't need to dwell on, on uh, any of can them for compare, too long. Can we compare our scores right at the beginning? I'm fascinated to know who won. <laughs> sure. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Um, so I've got mine here. So like I said, there's 18 points. We will go over them. They are graded, each one, on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being the highest or the most extreme and 1 being the lowest or not non-existent at all. And what you do, it's very simple, is you add up the scores based on how you've judged each of the questions. So in my case, I will start. 
Uh, I've got each of my answers listed out here, but the total score for, for the Church of Scientology on my uh, estimation here was 131 out of, a, out of a possible 180. What did you guys come up with? I got 133. I'm two ahead of you. Okay. Yeah. Hold on. I'm, I'm going to go with the, because some of them I had a range because the church as it exists today is different from before. So I'm going to go with the lower of those numbers uh -huh. just to get the benefit of the doubt. You just take your time, Jonathan. It's not like yeah, 115. Hey, just simmer down now, all right? All right, 115. Okay. 115. Okay. Mm -hmm. Actually, this is really interesting. That came out almost where I thought these were going to come out. That is really cool. Um, okay, well, let's, let's go ahead and go, go one at a time through these. Um, the first one uh, of the guide here, and I'll put the link to this evaluation frame in the notes to the show here, so you can find it in the description section on YouTube of this video or at sensiblyspeaking.com. Um, so the first factor is one, internal control. The amount of internal political and social power exercised by the leaders over members. Lack of clearly defined organizational rights for members. Okay, so that's the internal control. First step. So I graded mine as an eight. I thought there's a, uh, a lot of of control exerted over individual membership in Scientology, but I didn't want to make it a 10 because that's kind of an absolute figure. And there are some people who fly under the radar, get away with some things from time to time. So I thought eight was a, was a decent judge for uh, value for that one. What did you guys come up with? I went with 10 only because I think that when it gets to the point where you actually will lay down your life due to the control, which is, the, the end game for Jehovah's Witnesses if, for example, blood transfusions are, are in the balance. You know, when an organization has that level of control where you're actually willing to die for your beliefs, then I, I don't know how you can have more control than that. So I've given them a 10 for that. Good. Jonathan? Uh, I also went with an eight. And I think that um, a lot of the stuff that you mentioned about Scientology, where even though the institution has a lot of controls in place, there's still a little bit of wiggle room where people can kind of uh, differ from the main line a little bit, as long as they don't make a, too big a deal about it and something won't necessarily go. I think there's certainly a lot to talk here about the difference between institutional control within the hierarchy of the organization versus the control it has over the mind and choices that each individual makes yes. for personal decisions like blood transfusions. In Mormonism, it includes what food you eat as well as what clothing you wear as well as whether or not you serve a mission. All those things are part of the control, and it's a big part of being Mormonism. We have leaders saying that if you're Mormon – it affects every decision you make every day, what clothes you make, who you associate with. And I think that's all true for all three of our groups. Yeah. Um, just that the consequences for varying from that differ. Um, and that's where I think Mormons still have a, a, a little bit of autonomy in that regard. Agreed. Okay, cool. Um, second point then is external control. And what it says here is the amount of external political and social influence desired or obtained. Also, emphasis on directing members' external political and social behavior. 
So on this one, I also put an eight because Scientology does absolutely uh, exert a great deal of control on members, um, especially when it comes to political and social behavior. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of rules and guidelines within Scientology for what you can and can't do, can and can't say, that kind of thing. But also, um, they definitely tell their membership, you know, who to vote for, who the suggested suggested candidates are on the ballot that'll forward Scientology's goals and, and ideals in a political sphere or social sphere. So there's a there's a lot of work done by Scientology on that, and they and they push their membership on it. So I figured I figured eight was a good one for me. I put two for Jehovah's Witnesses because. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses are supposed to be apolitical and encourage, uh, uh, dissuade their members from voting. But now that I'm thinking about it, I think two's being um, a little modest because, uh, in truth, there is example. There are examples in the past of, for example, uh, Watchtower getting into bed with the United Nations uh, for influence on the world stage, and uh, they do. Um, direct members external political and social behavior if only by telling them not to vote and not to be involved in any way shape or form so I've given them a two but I probably could have given them more on that. Mormonism is a little different I think in all of these questions there's like there's a double-sidedness to it so Mormons you know we have we pay a lot of emphasis on free agency everybody has their free agency everybody can choose but then we load that choice with all sorts of different things in our culture and what our, relig- what our leaders say to the faithful versus what they say to the public people. And then not only that, but it's changed over time. So if you go back to where Joseph Smith started the religion, he secretly formed uh, a council of 50 whose goal was establishing a, th- a theocracy. And um, he unified religious and political leadership in his the city that he created. He was the mayor and the president of the church. And he also used his influence as a prophet to um, get favors from the outside world by saying, we will all vote for a particular party or a particular candidate. And um, and then his going back on that word ended up creating some problems that led to his death. And there's just all sorts of political stuff in the back. And we think, oh, well, that's all in the past. But there have been some recent leaks from... Uh, Mormon leaks of videos even more recently where U.S. senators meeting privately with the prophet are basically kissing the ring and showing that even though they're senators, the quote there was that his temple recommend was more important than his voter certificate, which gives him a seat in in the Senate or in Congress. And, um, and so there's still that political ambition behind the scene. If you live in Utah, the church has um, you know, people called the home teachers, which are lobbyists for the church itself that compel uh, Utah senators and lawmakers to vote the right way, or else if they step out of favor with the church, they'll lose their constituency. And so there's a lot of political control behind the scenes, even though over the pulpit, they'll say you're free to vote for whoever you want to vote for. Just remember the principles of the gospel. And by the way, those happen to mostly be Republican conservative principles. So what number did you give on that? I gave a seven. A seven, right, yeah. Yeah, mostly because people still feel like they're free to vote for whoever they want to and the control is a little more subversive. That's interesting, though, because it is a dual thing there because you have that behind-the-scenes activity, which you definitely have with Scientology as well. 
um, they're funneling money and influence and, you know, they're doing influence peddling and stuff as much as they can with local politicians and, and civic leaders. So, uh, yeah, cool. Um, okay. Point number three, this is an interesting one. Wisdom slash knowledge claimed by leaders amount of infallibility declared or implied about decisions or doctrinal scriptural interpretations Number and degree of unverified and or unverifiable credentials claimed. That's an interesting one. Um, now, on this one, I just saw the word infallibility. <laughs> and I thought, yep, yep. Uh, I, uh, and also in terms of the, um, the interpretation of the scriptures, so to speak. So I put a 10 on this one. This, I think this was the only one I actually said 10 on. Hmm. Um, nope, there's a couple others, there's a couple others, but this one was, um, was, I thought this was as far, I thought Scientology took this kind of, uh, thing as far as you can. Uh, so that's why I put a 10 on it. I put eight, but I probably should have put a nine. Um, it's a similar thing with Jehovah's Witnesses. The, the wisdom is supposed to be, you know, infallible, um, you're you're following God's one and only true organization with with wisdom that, and guidance that's being passed from heaven via the Holy Spirit. The only thing is that um, aware of the fact that they have made mistakes, aware of the fact that there have been flip flops in teachings through the years. Uh, the official line is that the faithful slave or governing body is not infallible and is imperfect. Um, so they say that just as like a token gesture of, of modesty, but in real terms, um, they expect people to adhere to what they say as though it is um, infallible to the point of um, dismantling people's families if anyone fails to toe the line. Yeah, I think you're talking a bit too. Also, if you look at this question and the one right after it, this is the one where what do leaders claim and the one right after it is, what do members believe about yeah. the infallibility of the leaders and that dual nature? Um, in the past, in Mormonism, it was very, very high. Prophets, basically, I mean, there's a talk called, if you Google the 14 fundamentals of following the prophet, it says things like, the prophet is the only man who speaks for the Lord in everything. He's not required to have any particular training or credentials to speak on any subject on any time. Um, he doesn't have to say, thus saith the Lord. He's not limited by, I mean, it's this whole line of things which basically take your justification for questioning anything he says away. And that's how it existed in the past. But we have more recent statements from our leaders saying, just because I'm a general authority doesn't mean I'm an authority in general. And so there's a duality there. The leaders are coming to terms a little bit more with their own infallibility. They've always said they weren't perfect, but, but, members, as we'll see in the next one, always believe that they kind of were. So I gave them it's still a high score. Um, I think we're at a seven now, whereas in the past we were more at a nine or a 10. I think we've softened it a little bit. Okay, cool. I just an additional note on this I thought of um, as far as this knowledge or wisdom claimed, you know, a lot of these groups, these destructive cults or high control groups or, you know, whatever you want to call them, um, make it very clear to their membership over time that they are the most important thing going on in the world. There isn't something else that takes precedent or trumps what they're doing. Um, but Scientology, I don't know about in, in, if, it, if it specifically says that anywhere in 
the Mormon or, or JW doctrines, but it does in Scientology. L. Ron Hubbard specifically stated, Scientology is the one thing senior to life because it explains all of life. So he put it right at the top, right in the dogma. You know, do you guys have that? We get um, messages regularly where leaders are saying the most important thing that you can do is to be obedient, to do the things that we tell you to do and the choices that you make. That's why they, they'll say like spiritual pornography, which is like anti-Mormon literature and stuff like that, is more damaging than real pornography because you can repent from viewing real pornography. But spiritual pornography that makes you lose your testimony, that takes you out of God, that has eternal implications. And so that, that tells you there that the priorities there are really your allegiance to the group is the most important thing and doing what the group expects you to do is the prime thing. So that concept is certainly there. And again, with Jehovah's Witnesses, we're at the point where you, you are expected to die uh, in right. the case of blood transfusions rather than disobey the wisdom of the leaders. Right. Perfect. Okay. Next one, point number four then, is wisdom knowledge credited to leaders by members. Amount of trust in decisions or doctrinal, scriptural interpretations made by leaders. Amount of hostility by members toward internal or external critics and or toward verification efforts. So this is kind of a dual thing here with this. Um, I put a nine on this one, um, only because there are some people within the world of Scientology who will question, look at, you know, what's true for you is what's true. Like there's a little bit of wiggle room within the, the scriptures for you to have a little bit of independent thinking, but not a whole lot. And you will be brought to toe eventually. And of course, we know about how Scientology treats its critics. And that's universal throughout Scientology. All Scientologists uh, really, really come down hard on apostates and critics. So that's why I put this one at a, at a high score of a nine. I put an eight, but I really should have put a nine. Um, I didn't put a nine because I didn't put a 10, sorry, because it said amount of hostility by members toward internal or external critics and that although there is a lot of hostility and calling of apostates mentally diseased and that kind of thing I just figured well at least they're not um coming after us with violence or right. advocating our slaughter or in the case of Scientology certainly in the past of Scientology there's been people made bankrupt um so I'm quite grateful in a way that that's not that that's not happening uh but yeah I think eight or nine is quite fair yeah Cool. For Mormonism, I think the part where they talk about trust in the leaders and attributing wisdom and knowledge to the leaders is off the charts 10. They are the mouthpiece of God. But then it, when you talk about hostility towards critics or towards um, apostates, they're softer, definitely. So I ended up coming around a nine. Great. Okay, cool. Um, okay, number five. Point number five is dogma. Rigidity of reality concepts taught. Amount of doctrinal inflexibility or fundamentalism. Hostility towards relativism and situationalism. All right, so on this one, I scored a 10. I said these guys are about as hardcore as you can get when it comes to 
this is the way, you know, L. Ron Hubbard is the way in the light, you know, so to speak. They don't really say it that way, but, you know, you have to follow the dogma specifically. Keeping Scientology working is front and center, top priority within the world of Scientology. And that means absolutely literal, dogmatic interpretation of the texts. And there is no two ways to do Scientology. There is only one right way. And Hubbard uh, beat that with a hammer many, many times. So that's why I, I put a 10 on this one. Yeah, it's a strong 10 for Jehovah's Witnesses as well. Yep. yep. Uh, Mormonism, like we talked about, they adapt. And I think the dogma is there in that what the prophets declare to be real, to be doctrine, is doctrine. The, the leader, the members themselves don't have flexibility in determining what is doctrine. It's the leaders that do, but the leaders can change and change is part of the gospel. You know, they, we, they have, they're open to revelation. So I, I softened it a little bit. I still give it a very strong score of nine, but um, there's a, there's a caveat that things can change. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah. I think you're the, I think your group is the only one that has anything like that for us, Jonathan, uh, the idea of change or revelation doesn't, doesn't really exist in Scientology at all. Every single change Miscavige has made, every one has been back attributed to an error somebody made in interpreting or writing down Hubbard's words, not really? because what Hubbard wrote was wrong in some fashion and needed to be revised. Every change was back to how L. Ron Hubbard intended it in the first place. Well, we have new light, but I guess you could say it's similar because this new light is attributed to Holy Spirit and to, uh, because we're so close to the last days, um, Jehovah's chosen to reveal this right now, right at the last minute, so that we have a fuller understanding than we did previously. So it's all attributed to being uh, increased wisdom from, from on high. Right. Yeah. Right. And we have the concept that God teaches line upon line, precept upon precept, according to the spiritual conditions of the people. And so we can always justify any change by saying that now the, now the members are ready for it. And that becomes a problem because depending on what gets changed, it implies that people before were not ready for it. So now the members are ready to treat black people as equal. Well, that means right. that before they couldn't. Now the members are ready to let women pray in sacrament. That's like, well, what was different before that the members weren't ready for that? But we'll take it as it comes. Yeah, exactly. All right, number six, point number six is recruiting. Emphasis put on attracting new members, amount of proselytizing, requirement for all members to bring in new ones. So on this one, recruiting is emphasized at a local level. Individual Scientologists are heavily uh, encouraged uh, to share the wisdom of Scientology, to be shining examples of Scientology in the big wide world so that they will attract new members. And there's actually a series of steps, L. Ron Hubbard wrote down, to four steps every Scientologist is supposed to learn in order to proselytize and bring new people in. So it's part of the, of the dogma, it's part of the, 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 the scene, but I only scored this at a six because Scientology is not really engaged in any kind of effective or even really much of any kind of campaign to bring in new members. They're about, lots. What about your yellow shirt wearing volunteer ministers? That's a yeah. 
that's and that's, that's a, the Super Bowl, yeah. It's a little yeah. bit of a thing. And I was just about to bring up the Super Bowl ad, right? Because last year they did a, you know, are you, you know, Scientology, are you curious, you know, ad? And it bombed. It bombed horribly. It bombed as, as hard as you could possibly imagine because the responses to it was, yeah, I'm curious where Shelly is. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm curious when David Miscavige is going to jail. You know, those were literally the kind of responses they were getting uh, to their ads. So their, uh, their ability to correctly measure what the message should be in recruiting to the big wide public and, and the effectiveness of it is so bad. It's so horrible. And they make so few efforts to even do it. That I thought, and eh, this is not, a, you know, a super high score. They're not really pushing that hard for new members. So I, I put it at a six. It's a strong turn for Jehovah's Witnesses when you yeah. get to the point where, uh, and this is one of the videos that makes it into my 10 worst of 2018. When it, when it gets to the point where they're making cartoons telling children to involve themselves in recruiting new members for the group. Well, you know, what more do you need? So um, I rest my case, Your Honor. It's a strong <laughs> Yes, I agree. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm surprised Scientology hasn't, hasn't taken a page from what the JWs are doing with those cartoons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? uh, well, and in a way, they've already taken a page because I know that um, video propaganda has been a thing for the Church of Latter-day Saints for some while. I'm going to do my very best to use the official uh, terminology. <laughs> um, it's been a relatively recent thing with Jehovah's Witnesses really kicking off around sort of 2013, 2014. Uh, but you guys are a little bit slow uh, to take it take it up. And I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if a few lessons have been learned by looking at Watchtower and looking at the Church of Latter-day Saints um, in what they're doing. Yep. See, you're just so willing to surrender your mind to the leaders. <laughs> use the name they want to use. I refuse. <laughs> no, I think, Chris, when I listen to you talk about Scientology, I think of that Mark Twain quote where it's like, you know, it's better to be thought an ignorant fool and remain silent than to open your mouth and remove all doubt or something like that. I'm like, you know, once the public has moved beyond being able to believe some of that crap and, and see it for what it is, then if you try to proselytize by showing people what you got, that's just going to chase them away even further. That's right. Uh, that's right. But for Mormonism, I think, you know, I gave them a 10 and I have to acknowledge, you know, the caveat there that Lloyd's, you know, the J-dubs maybe should be 11 so that I can be a 10. No, you have to be a nine, I'm afraid. No, 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 we gotta be 10. Cause you know, like the whole, the Mormon, Book of Mormon musical is about the missionaries. The missionaries is just like, that's how the world knows Mormonism. And it, it had enough of a clean visage and, and close enough to Protestant Christianity that it could do a, you know, a rabid missionary effort in the past and have some success in that. We're finding that that's becoming less and less the case but it, there's still a, a strong missionary mentality. We've just kind of condensed it to those two years rather than what Jehovah's Witnesses have of their entire life. Actually, I've just remembered how far behind you are with the scores. So uh, just to show how gracious I am, I'm going to award you the extra point. It should have been a nine. It's a 10. Well done, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys. Uh, okay, next point, number seven, is front groups. And this was interesting. Number of subsidiary groups using different names from that of the main group, especially when connections are hidden. Um, 
Now, Scientology is fairly famous for some of its front groups, uh, Wise, Able, Applied Scholastics, et cetera, Narconon, Criminon. I mean, they have these groups out there. They do exist. There are people pushing on them. But I scored this pretty low because I, I actually only put a four on this one. And the reason why is because those front groups are, for the most part, exposed. And there are not really that many of them. And this, this, this speaks to the number of subsidiary groups using different names. Scientology has a, has a good number of them, <clears throat> excuse me, but they're not that active. They're not that big. In fact, they come up and die off just as quickly, almost on a daily basis. So yes, there's front group activity. Yes, it's dangerous. I'm not condoning it or saying it doesn't matter. But in a relative picture of things, when I look at other groups, I thought, Eh, Scientology's waned quite a bit in their in their push on that line of country. So I only gave it a four. I gave Jehovah's Witnesses the minimum of one. Um, there, there is a little bit of that that goes on, but it's not really for sort of nefarious reasons. They, for example, they'll do they'll set up websites for selling property, where it's not immediately clear that it's Watchtower that's doing it, or they'll set up websites for selling. Um, cars that have been used by uh, circuit overseers um, or representatives that visit different congregations to sell them on to others. So it does happen a little bit, but it isn't really for any nefarious purposes. For the most part, if a group is set up by Jehovah's Witnesses, it's very clear that it is Jehovah's Witnesses. I think Mormonism is very similar. Um, this question seems geared more to like kind of what the Moonies sort of yeah. did where they had groups recruiting on college campuses under different auspices that then funnel into the organization. Mormons generally want to have their brand on anything that they do because it gives credit to the organization. There are only a few things that are a little bit shifty in that regard. So some of the genealogy websites are technically owned by the church, but they're not actually branded like that. And then there'll be some things like, you know, there's a website, I forget what it's called, but you, if there's a service need in your area, you can go to the website and, and type in your area and it'll say, these are some things you can do for service. And, and so it, but that's not really a, a recruitment tool on its face. So I give it a very low score of probably one or two. Does the cool. church of Latter-day Saints uh, own or operate any underwear manufacturers, Jonathan? Only, only its own. And it right. did, you know, it used to sell the pattern and you can make your own, but it did consolidate that to itself. But um, that's only for the, the truly faithful. So it's not really a recruiting tool. It's not the sort of thing where you would be a, a customer. No, no, right. I couldn't get that. Are they, okay. are, the, are they comfortable, that underwear? <laughs> they're changing constantly with new fabrics and everything. Uh, they're more comfortable now than they were when they were first envisioned, which was you know, all the way to your sleeves, all the way to your ankles, a one piece that you wore. When you say they're, they're more were... comfortable now, this implies that you are testing them quite frequently. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> so the thing is, you'll find with a lot of, of Mormon men is that they just don't want to have to go buy the things because if you're going to buy seven pair, then you have to get the bottoms and the tops. It's like a hundred bucks. And it's like you, just, you get them and you wear them out. Like there are holes, they're dingy and gray, but the, the symbols are still there. You keep wearing them until a, a parent, a significant other says, why in the world are you still wearing these? You're disgracing your covenants. And then you're forced to get rid of them. And then to, to get rid of them, you've got all this underwear. You've got to find the symbols, cut them out and burn the symbols. And then you can get rid of the underwear. There's a whole 
for the record, I am down wow. for us doing an entire episode on Mormon underwear. You know, I, yeah, I actually now that I I, I was yeah. just thinking the exact same thing because I yeah. have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, and I didn't want to derail this conversation on that, so we are going to take that up. Good. Uh, yeah. Okay, number eight is wealth. Okay, amount of money and or property desired or obtained by group. Emphasis on members' donations. Economic lifestyle of leaders compared to ordinary members. This was an easy 10. This, I mean, Scientology is a money-making scam. David Miscavige is living up high on the hog here while the rest of the membership is down in the sewers. Uh, intense amount of effort on fundraising and money and donations. So it, it was pretty easy answer on this one. I gave an eight uh, because it's not really set up like that for Jehovah's Witnesses. It's not It's not as overtly a money-making scam as it is with uh, Scientology. In fact, as I've said before, you could conceivably make it all the way to the top of the ladder without giving a cent. Um, so long as you keep that information to yourself. Uh, there is, however, a big onus on property, on uh, new construction projects, on um, on donations, especially over, over recent years, Jehovah's Witnesses have been pummeled with um, solicitations for donations, um, for example, in video broadcasts. So, and, and there is, a, I feel, a disparity. Although Jehovah's Witnesses tend to argue, oh, well, it's not like um, the donations are lining the pockets of the governing body and they're kind of going around in yachts and what have you. Uh, the truth is that they do live very comfortably compared to, I would say, the average Jehovah's Witness, considering as well that a lot of the growth is coming from sort of third world countries. So I think eight is a reasonable reflection. I think it's so cute that you're like, oh, Scientology is all about the money. That's like doing basic <laughs> math compared to Mormonism, which is doing advanced calculus that you can't even see or understand. I mean, we don't get your we, magic underwear in a twist, Jonathan. We're all on your side. There is just a huge, like, even if we stopped proselytizing, stopped getting more, there is so much financial reserves and financial solvency in the, in the church itself. It could last, you know, on basically a self-sustaining perpetual endowment of its current reserves. Um, wow. And on top of that, the point that Lloyd made with, you know, we look at the prophets, they're not running around in jets. They're not, you know, wearing Rolexes and stuff like that but they are very comfortable. We say right. that we have a lay leadership, but they make a six-figure stipend every year. On top of that, all their medical is covered. Their kids get to go to church schools for basically free if, you know, if they still have kids at the age that they get there. But they, um, they don't have to worry about any medical cover, anything. You know, basically, all the worries in their life are gone except for being involved in the church. And we compare that to maybe middle, upper-class America, and it's not too different. But if you compare it to where we're seeing growth in the church in the third world, where people, you know, not only are they struggling to make ends meet in areas where they're hit by famine or, or any other number of problems, but then we had send our prophets and apostles over there. And I have a video recording where one of them said, you know, the principle of tithing is if you want to be a good patriot, he's talking to youth in Africa. If you want to be a good Ugandan, a good, you know, patriot for your country, pay tithing, send your, send your money to a multi-billion dollar corporate church in America, and that is going to uplift your country. Like that type of messaging, and then with the notion that this is what God wants you to do, 
is very damaging, very hurtful. And it, it, to me, that is more revealing than any Rolex that, that a, you know, a, a leader would wear or anything Jonathan, like that. Jonathan, did you give yours a 10 by any chance? I absolutely did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, speaking of Rolexes, I will say that Dave Miscavige was uh, photographed uh, within the last month uh, with an $8,000 Rolex watch. So I, I think he's living pretty high on the hog. Uh, Although that's a cheap Rolex, I mean, honestly. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. Uh, okay, we got we we're only about halfway through, so we got to cruise through these. Um, nine is sexual manipulation of members by leader of non tantric groups. That's an interesting uh, limitation there. Amount of control exercised over sexuality of members in terms of sexual orientation, behavior, and or choice of partners. So on this one, on sexual manipulation, I put an eight. Um, David Miscavige does not force sexual favors from Scientologists. Scientology is not the family. They don't do flirty fishing. They don't, That's you know, the sex next is... one, though. You're getting confused with point 10. Point oh, 10 sexual is... favoritism? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're yeah, 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 yeah. Sexual manipulation of members, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Well, yeah. um, well on this one, uh, the grade of eight came in because... Um, the amount of control ex exercised over membership sexuality is very high, um, and you know behavior and that sort of thing. But it's not. But it's not exercised in terms of choice of partners, as far as any kind of arranged marriages or anything like that. There's nothing like that in Scientology. So there's still a lot of wiggle room in this area. Um, Scientology just has a very conservative morality in regard sexuality and. That's about, you know, how much manipulation is going on there. So I put an eight. It's a strong 10 for me. Uh, you're not allowed to be gay. If you are gay, you'll be destroyed at Armageddon. Uh, you're not allowed to marry outside of the group. You are not allowed to masturbate. Um, you, you basically, you're not allowed to have sex before marriage. There's a whole lot of sexual repression that goes on. Um, and it really influences people mentally and emotionally. So I put a 10 there. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I put a nine. It's a little bit softer than what Lloyd uh, describes for Jehovah's Witnesses, but um, a lot of those same prohibitions are in place for Mormonism. We're becoming a little bit more accepting of gay individuals, uh, but we still don't allow them the dignity of marriage or participation in, in full church service if they choose to live that lifestyle. Um, but there's still a great deal of sexual repression. Marriage is um, the the threshold at which one is able to have sex and feel like they're still in God's graces and um, and everything that goes along with that. So I give it a nine. Cool. So 10, sexual favoritism, as uh, Lloyd mentioned, advancement or preferential treatment dependent upon sexual activity with the leader of non-tantric groups. So yeah, this is direct index of- hey, Hold on. I didn't, look, I didn't look into this guy's background, but is there any chance that when you said he had some issues, this Bonowitz guy, did he start a tantric group? I don't know. Because <laughs> that's an interesting little caveat right there. Yes. Be like, oh, these cults are bad, but if you're non-tantric, then it's cool. Yeah, yeah. Or if you're uh, tantric, I, I guess. Can't, can't speak to that. But, okay. um, 
But on this one, I had to actually put Scientology at a zero. There, this just doesn't happen. This isn't how it, how it works in Scientology. You don't have to sleep your way to the top. There is no sexual favoritism this way. David Miscavige, any, if anything, the guy is asexual at this point. Uh, we have no evidence. I mean, there's tons of conjecture, but there is zero evidence that David Miscavige sleeps around or sleeps with people or, you know, has, has, had, has had even one instance of out-of-wedlock sex. He hasn't seen his wife since 2006 or whatever, but, um, but sex has just never been a thing in Scientology, and it's not, it wasn't for L. Ron Hubbard either. There are, um, I mean, he had, you know, young women servicing him, bathing him, changing his clothes, but there is not one claim ever made in all those years by any of those women who grew up, came out of Scientology, have written books, have talked about L. Ron Hubbard extensively, not one instance of him ever inappropriately touching them or doing anything like that. So I had to put a zero on this one. Well, you put zero, I've put one, one being the minimum, according to the instructions that I could give. Oh, yes, one. So I, should, have, I should have put a one. You might have shortchanged yourself there, but yeah, I yeah. put one. There isn't really any sexual favoritism among Jehovah's Witnesses. Yep. Uh, in Mormonism, it, it has changed. In the days of Joseph Smith, absolutely, there was sexual favoritism. Uh, we're going in the historian group that I'm a part of now, we're going and looking at the deed, land deed records in the city of Nauvoo, which Joseph Smith was mayor of, and by the way, the registrar of deeds of, and the major land owner of. And when he engaged a woman as a secret plural wife, we're trying to, right now we're in the process of getting the chronology round up, but we have records of him granting through a shady type of purchase land to these women, including some teenage girls who were his secret brides. And so if you entered into that relationship, you were given favor within the community and you were brought into the inner circle. And that was absolutely a dynamic of that that per persisted into Brigham Young, where he had, you know, once you have polygamy as part of your system, all of these sort of influences are in the mix. That being said, in the modern era, in the modern age, the leaders themselves are conventional, monogamous, atomic family sort of people. And I think this doesn't really play a role in leadership as it exists in the church today. Cool. All right. Point number 11 is censorship. Amount of control over members' access to outside opinions on groups, its doctrines, or leaders. Um, I actually, I initially put a seven on this, but I'm going to change it to uh, a nine. Um, because there is an excessive amount of, of control over Scientologists' ability to look at information, even on the internet. They attempt to police it at an absolute level. I say nine because they are not successful at policing it to an absolute level. Public members of Scientology you know, can and do look at stuff on the internet that they shouldn't be looking at all the time. It's much harder for staff members or Sea Org members to get away with it because they're more rigidly policed in their behavior. So that's why I said nine rather than a 10. I've gone with a strong 10 um, in, in every way that they can realistically censor Jehovah's Witnesses from looking at uh, outside information or, informa or information that's critical of the group. They absolutely do it. Uh, they say that if you uh, look at apostate information, you're feeding at the table of demons, that terrible things will happen to you if you entertain negative, um, art, even just ne negative articles in the media. It doesn't even have to be from apostates. It could just be ne media articles that are negative about Jehovah's Witnesses. 
they speak in very strong uh, terms about what will happen to you if you do that. So uh, in every realistic way that they could censor people, they absolutely do. Yeah. Mormonism used to be at that position that Lloyd's talking about um, as a, at a 10, but it's softened a lot to the extent now where we have the church sponsoring its own academic endeavor to try to make the early writings, the early records of the church available, including some very damaging things if you follow the implications out. It always does it with its own faithful reframing, but it invites members to investigate. And so I think we're, we're starting to see that scale go from a 10 down. I would say we're probably at a seven right now and, and dropping. Cool. Okay, point number 12 is isolation. Amount of effort to keep members from communicating with non-members, including family, friends, and lovers. So on this one, I scored a seven. Um, obviously, disconnection and suppressed—you know—issuing suppressive person declares is a massive effort to, you know, isolate former members and keep existing members from talking to them. But as far as interacting with non-members, Scientologists are free to do so, whether they're family, friends, or otherwise, provided that person is not rabidly antagonistic to Scientology. So you can marry outside Scientology. You can be associated with people who are not Scientologists, and nobody's going to particularly bat an eye or get all weird about it unless, like I said, there's that person's causing some kind of trouble. So that's why I put a seven on this one. I put an eight uh, because you're not really supposed to have dealings with the outside world when you're a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, you can obviously uh, have a job, um, but even when you like have, an, have a nine-to-five office job, you're not supposed to really socialize with the people you're working with. Um, you're to view people who don't share your beliefs as a corrupting influence, bad association, uh, so there is a lot of isolation that goes on. It's just not total isolation because you are at least allowed to take jobs. You are at least allowed to talk to people at the store. Uh, it's just the extent to which you communicate that's limited. Yeah, and I gave Mormonism a low score in this regard, maybe a two or a three. Um, you know, we're invited to be out in the world to go as far as we want in any academic or employment endeavor that we want. And those those contacts are actually kind of exploited for uh, proselytizing opportunity, whether you're trying to get them into the church or whether you're trying to let your light shine forth and just increase the standing and stature and, and public image of the church itself. But the culture of the church tends to create pockets of isolation within communities. So if you go into Utah, a lot of the neighborhoods are 100% LDS. And if you're the non-LDS person who moves in there, while you may initially be love bombed, if you reject or hold the church at a distance, then you may find that your kids aren't invited to play and things like that, that are just results of culture more than the church saying that you have to isolate yourself. So that's right. where I stand. Yeah, social controls. All right. 13, dropout control. Intensity of efforts directed at preventing or returning dropouts. On this one, I put a six. I personally engaged in going out, knocking on doors to get people back into Scientology. So there are efforts made to recover Scientologists. But um, at the same time, if somebody, you know, hits the streets, hits the skids, goes, takes off, there's definitely an attitude of, well, we'll pick him up next lifetime. Screw that guy, you know, sort of attitude. So, um, so it waxes and wanes. It depends on 
you know, the, the, the fad at the moment as to whether we're, we're all about getting people back in or ah, screw them. We'll just go find some new blood. It goes, it, it vacillates. So I gave it a six. I gave Jehovah's Witnesses a seven because there is, in fact, a brochure titled Return to Jehovah. Uh, so they've at least gone to the trouble of making propaganda expressly targeted at uh, appealing to inactive witnesses to come back. They've also done videos along those lines. But realistically, um, if you are a Jehovah's Witness and you go inactive, um, you are, again, classed as bad association. So individual members aren't going to go to any efforts to bring you back in. You might get a visit from the elders periodically to try and encourage you to return to the meetings. But re realistically and practically, there's very little effort that goes into uh, encouraging um, waned Jehovah's Witnesses to come back. Yeah. In Mormonism, we have, they always pair that reactivation with missionary efforts. And so it rides on the coattails just in terms of, of efforts. So it has a high score in that regard. But we're starting to see now where if you're starting to question or be public about your doubts, your leader will come to you and say, listen, if you just want to resign, then we don't have to do an excommunication process or anything. And they're almost inviting resignations of troublesome, noisy people. And so that's a little bit of a different shift from them, you know, always inviting. But even when you leave, the, the brochure they send out is, you know, please come back and feast at the table with, with us. And um, so it, it's still there. And then you'll see it referenced in Married to Missionary Efforts uh, almost in every general conference. Cool. So I gave it a seven. Seven on that one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, number 14 is coming down the home stretch here is violence. Amount of approval when used by or for the group, its doctrines, or leaders. On this one, I scored low. I put a four. Violence is approved of in certain circumstances when you're dealing with, say, a critic of Scientology or, um, and I mean in a very direct way, like if you had a protester outside, you know, there was, there have been you know, pushes and shoves and screaming and what are your crimes? And, you know, when was the last time you killed a baby and this kind of nonsense? Um, verbal violence, really. As far as actual violence, it's really not sanctioned or approved by the Office of Special Affairs within the church because they know that, you know, Scientologists going to jail is not a good look for them. So they don't, they don't you know, particularly push that. But there are covert acts of violence that are committed all the time as as part of fair game so i put a four i put the minimum score of a one because say what you will about jehovah's witnesses one thing you cannot say is that they're a violent group in yep. fact that's one thing that i uh, appreciate um it's actually given me the confidence to do things like go and shoot videos at the headquarters complex because I know that the, the very worst thing that could happen is that there will be an awkward conversation and that there will be people feeling uncomfortable with the situation. There will absolutely never be any violence toward me by a Jehovah's Witness. Or, or at least if that, if that were to happen, it would be more a case of a mental imbalance in the individual rather than something that's ordained by the organization. So it's a one from me. Cool. Yeah. I think Mormonism as it is today is very low. It's a one. Uh, I say maybe a two just because there are examples in what is currently canonized scripture of justified violence. Specifically, if you look for the beheading of Laban in the Book of Mormon, it's uh, a beheading of, a, of an incapacitated individual. 
Um, if you go back in time to early Mormonism, there was a doctrine called blood atonement in which one of the early prophets, Brigham Young, gave a theological framework to justify violence even up to murder as something that you could do out of love to somebody who apostatized or committed any number of other sins. And it's an, it's an uncomfortable and dis, disappointing and, and ugly part of, of Mormon history that led to things like the Mountain Meadows Massacre. And um, so that it was very strong in the past. Not only that, but you have Joseph Smith writing to a 19-year-old girl who had rebuffed his advances of secret plural marriage by laying out something in what's called the happiness letter, which basically says even something like murder, which may be wrong in one instance, can be considered righteous in another instance if you're commanded to do it by a man who is a prophet of God. And so there's some dark shadows of violence in the past, but Mormonism as it exists today is, is not condoning violence in any way. Cool. Uh, 15, paranoia, amount of fear concerning real or imagined enemies, exaggeration of perceived power of opponents, prevalence of conspiracy theories. Okay, I've, I've gone and I've talked for hours about Scientology's nonsensical conspiracy theories. Uh, this is definitely a 10. They're just, they're just out, the, out the roof on this crap. Yeah, it's a strong 10 from me. Yeah. Um, as Exhibit A, I offer a book that was pub uh, released at the annual meeting in October about prophecy. And in one of the illustrations, it shows like a situation room at the White House or at the Pentagon where they have a bank of TV monitors uh, looking at the headquarters at Warwick, at one of the governing body members, at Jehovah's Witnesses out preaching, including children preaching. Um, and this is the level of interest that Satan's system of things is supposed to have in Jehovah's Witnesses either now or in the near future. And so I rest my case on that as a 10. <laughs> Uh, Mormonism, I'm going to give a, really an eight. Um, you know, again, early on, you know, we're the Church of Latter Day Saints, and that Latter Day is an allusion to end times, and so it is kind of apocalyptic in how that is formed. Um, but it's that rhetoric has been softened. We still have leaders who will invoke Satan or the adversary as uh, you know the reason for some of the difficulties and challenges that we have, which feeds into this paranoia aspect, but um, they've tried to reframe a lot of their conversations into one of hope and of, of a more positive aspect of that rather than dwelling on the darkness. And so Mormonism has softened quite a bit, but everything that you do is still so that you can be in God's graces at Christ's second coming. And all of these changes that I talked about that the new prophet is doing, there's an undercurrent of messaging that we are hastening the work because Christ is about to come. And if you dig into theology in Mormonism for that, there's a lot of terrible things around his second coming uh, if you're not a believer. And so the, it's there by inference, but it's not what they focus on. All right. It's so goofy because, you know, it's like you have this time limit, you know, like you have to accept him. And by the time he shows up, well, it'd be very easy to believe him. And at that point, because he's there, it's right there. I can see him. I'll, yeah, sure. I'll believe it now. Nope, too late. It's non-falsifiable. Yeah, it's so yeah. stupid. It's, ugh, it's just so annoying. Okay, 
Grimness, point number 16. Amount of disapproval concerning jokes about the group, its doctrines, or its leaders. I was impressed that this was actually on the list because it's a, it's a, it is a commonality. Uh, it is a point, but it's, it's not talked about a lot. Scientology definitely is a 10 on this one. There is no joking allowed about the subject of Scientology, period. And uh, Hubbard actually wrote an issue that, that labels somebody who would be a joker or degrader, as he calls it, uh, is also a psychotic. He, he, is, he, he makes no, you know, he doesn't soft pedal this at all. You are not to make jokes about Scientology. I've given a nine on this. Uh, it's not that there isn't a lot of seriousness and you know, it's just understood that you don't make jokes about the faithful slave. Why would you joke around about God's one and only true organization? It's just that there aren't, it's not really codified as such. It's not like there are, it's not like it's a disfellowshipping offense to uh, make a joke against uh, Tony Morris or one of the governing body members. But I think nine is, is fair. Yeah. In Mormonism, one of the covenants you make in the temple is to avoid loud laughter or light-mindedness, uh, or ill-speaking of the Lord's anointed. And those are those are all, I think, allusions to what they're talking about right here. So Mormons take it very serious in the frame of mind that you're covenanting with God in what is to believe the most sacred space on earth to avoid these things. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is that we have leaders who have learned that you can connect with an audience and you can become more likable if you make self-deprecating jokes. And if you're a prophet, you can make a marginally funny joke that's self-deprecating and there will be roaring laughter as a result of it. And I loved it when I was, when I was listening, when I would hear jokes like that. And so you'll have the culture where we appreciate that leaders can joke about themselves, but we still don't really feel comfortable joking about the leaders. We'll let them joke about themselves. We don't really joke about them. But it's it's a softer thing than what uh, you know when you guys take it so seriously. So, right. What what number did you give that one? Uh, I believe I give them an eight. Eight. Okay. All right. Second to last one is seventeen. Surrender of will. And this was a tough one for me. Uh, amount of emphasis on members not having to be responsible for personal decisions. And then it says degree of individual disempowerment created by the group, its doctrines, or its leaders. Well, I was conflicted on this one because if I was going to say the amount of emphasis on members not having to be responsible for personal decisions, well, I, it would be a zero because Scientology is all about individual responsibility and how you have to, you're the individual, you're the one who's responsible for every single thing that's ever happened to you. But I think that that by, it's an inversion within Scientology because they're making you responsible, but they've taken away all your power at the same time. So there's a surrender of will to the, the bigger body of the church and its dictates and directions and guidelines. So I don't know, I was a little, I was a little back and forth on this one. So I, I put, a, I put a, a, an eight. I put yeah. a 10. Um, yeah. Maybe I read it differently, but the, there's, not only do you have uh, a situation where it's better to die than um, go against the teachings in the case of blood transfusions, but you also have material that was published recently uh, talking about how we should obey uh, the organization or the faithful slave 
even if they tell us to do something that doesn't make sense from a human standpoint. That's the, the right. degree to which the will of the organization supersedes uh, your personal preferences. So I've put a 10 on that. I, re- I remember when you, when you talked about that, that was uh, quite something. Yeah. yeah, I think in Mormonism, what you talked about, the inversion of it is very much a part of Mormonism. We, we harp on and on about how everybody has their free agency, but then the secondary message is that the only legitimate use of that free agency is to surrender it to the choices that we've told you are acceptable according to Mormon theology and doctrine. And so we've stopped calling it free agency. We now call it moral agency because the only things that you can choose legitimately are the things we've defined as moral. And so we give everyone the idea that they are free to choose, but they're only free to choose from the small menu that they have. And if you make choices other than that, then you are considered sinful or wicked or going on your own ways, relying on the flesh. And so there's this weird thing where Mormons feel, and they focus a lot on personal responsibility. I've made the choice. I'm not a, you know, I'm I'm not brainwashed. But when you step outside of that framework and look at it in the context of people who are truly free to choose, then you can see there's a great deal of control and, and the group uh, locks people in in that way. And so it's a difficult thing. It's not as controlling as Jehovah's Witnesses. It's not as controlling as certainly some of the other really destructive cults that you might read about. So I give it an eight. Cool. Yeah, I think you just pretty accurately described the bounded choice model. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, your, your choices are bounded. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's something Yanya Lalich has put out there about destructive cults. Uh, okay, and then 18, last one, is hypocrisy. The amount of approval for actions which the group officially considers immoral or unethical when done by or for the group, its doctrines or leaders. Willingness to violate the group's declared principles for political, psychological, social, economic, military, or other gain. Okay, this one's easy 10 for Scientology. They are one of the most hypocritical groups anywhere that I have ever encountered. Uh, so, and I could, I could list off examples of this all day long. The, the, the dogma says this, they do this. The, it, you know, communication is the universal solvent. We have to disconnect everybody who disagrees with us. I mean, there, there's just con- conflicting uh, points of, of, of dogma and, and principles all over the place. And Scientologists violate their own principles every single day of the week and see no problem with that. Mm. Strong 10 for Jehovah's Witnesses as well. I've already alluded to the uh, period when Watchtower was a non-governmental organization for the United Nations during the years that it was declaring the United Nations to be the wild beast of revelation in its literature, uh, but conveniently keeping uh, its political uh, advances out of the picture for rank-and-file witnesses. And there's also theocratic warfare. Jehovah's Witnesses are not to lie. They are to be truthful and honest in all things. But there's just this loophole where you do get to lie if it's, if it's to the advantage of the organization. So, and Yes. Yeah, I think for Mormonism, it's a higher score, eight or nine. I think Mormons, they, they really try to live their doctrine. It's just anytime there is a violation or an inconsistency, even if they acknowledge it, they don't acknowledge that it's an inconsistency. They, they, they redefine it so it's something else. Famously, you know, we all know that Joseph Smith was a plural a polygamist while he was denying it. When you read the current church talking about it, they say that he didn't deny it or lie. He issued a carefully worded denial 
which was based on a private definition of the word polygamy that they had internally that the other world didn't know about so they could go back and retrofit and say they weren't lying. So we never admit that it's an inconsistency or hypocrisy. We just redefine things. And so it's a little more insidious. It doesn't happen. I don't think they're out doing it as much in terms of Hippocratic actions, but it's certainly their Hippocratic actions. Anyway, so I give them an eight. Cool, man. Yeah, I think my score went up a little bit in the course of this. I think I'm Mine about- Mine could have done as well. I'm yeah, still ahead of you. I, I, <laughs> I think I'm running about 136 now or something. So- I could add a few points as well. Yeah, you added some points as well. Yeah. Well, this was this was interesting, guys. I actually thought this was a pretty good suggestion, and it turned out it was. Um, and, and any one of those points could easily take up an entire podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in fact, we maybe we'll, we'll get into that in the future. But um, I want to wrap this up now. Uh, thanks a lot for your time, guys, on this. I always love uh, comparing and contrasting and chatting and, and, uh, and looking at this stuff. It's an absolute pleasure. It's always good to be here, and hopefully, one of these episodes, our viewers will get what they want, which is uh, our friend Mr. Streeter uh, demonstrating some of the um, some of the apparel. apparel. I'm going to start watching you, Streeter, on the runway. (laughs) Only if I can get Lloyd to sing some of his original renditions of your own. You're on. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, uh, excellent. All right, guys. Uh, for the viewers out there, thank you very much for coming around. Any questions, comments, feedback, leave it in the comment section here on YouTube or at sensiblyspeaking.com. Always look forward to hearing from you guys. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. It is what allows us to keep doing this. See you guys next week. Bye-bye.